Meow, meow. This is Onyx the Fortuitous, star of Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. I don't know. And you're listening to the Horror Squad podcast. It's pretty cool. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Horror Squad podcast. This is episode number 304, where tonight we will be reviewing 1985's Silver Bullets. I am here, as always, with Steve and Todd, and tonight we have a fourth person on the mic. I would like to introduce you all. Some of you might already know her from Discord, but for those of you who don't, I'd like to introduce you all to our good friend, Missy. Missy, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. Thank you, guys. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Excited to be here. Excellent, excellent. Gentlemen and ladies, how was everyone's weekend? Anything horror-related or just kind of going through life? No horror-related for me. We had a huge football weekend where we had lost Kentucky State football for the junior division. But we went to a tri-state tournament between Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky, and we won. So we were the the last seed in the in the division or whatever, and we went undefeated in the tournament and beat the freaking number one seed. Where these kids, man, like some of them were like my freaking size in sixth grade. I'm like, holy shit, we're gonna get beat up. They uh, scored a touchdown in like 30 seconds opening drive, and like, oh, we're fucked. And then now yeah, we came back, won 25-12. So it was really good. They got a little Super Bowl ring, and it was it was pretty awesome. So it was all football all weekend for me. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. They should stood up. That's awesome, Todd. Uh, nothing much for me. It was it was a long weekend for me. You know, just want to thank all of the veterans. It was I think you guys called it Veterans Day. We called it Remembrance Day here in Canada, but the spirit is the same. So especially Todd, of course, he's you know he he was in the service as well. So thank you for that. Uh, I, I basically this was like my transition weekend from Halloween to Christmas. Put all my Halloween stuff away. Starting to take out the the Christmas stuff, and I, it's not late or anything yet, but. I want to get kind of ahead of it before it starts snowing and all that kind of stuff, which it did, unfortunately, today. So, yeah, nothing too much. I did watch a lot of horror, though, because as I'm putting stuff up, there's, you know, we might as well have some horror in the background. And, yeah, so that's about it. Nothing too exciting. Oh, we, we should also mention that we do have an interview at the end of this episode. I interviewed Andrew Bowser, who plays Onyx the Fortuitous in Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. He actually wrote, directed, and starred in that movie. It's an absolutely amazing interview. People really need to check out this movie. It's over on Screenbox and uh, digital as of today, so VOD. Really, really great interview. So at the end of the episode, hope you all check it out. Excellent. Missy, what were you up to this week? Anything good? Um, I'm house hunting. So that's the exciting um, thing in my life. But um, so no, I mean, we watched it, obviously had to watch the uh, Silver Bullet again and watched a couple of horror movies. But other than that, that's pretty much what the weekend was uh, was entailing. Excellent. I actually watched horror movies this week for a change. I usually only watch our movie review for the week, but I actually was able to sit down this weekend and watch a couple. So I will have some for what watch this week for the first time in a long time. Uh, we also went thrifting a little bit and we actually did find some like horror Halloween stuff. Nothing like overly exciting, but just when you go thrifting and you can actually find stuff to do with horror and Halloween, it's always fun and exciting. So um, that was pretty cool. I sent Steve and Todd. I found some Congo figures. 
that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, I also found some blade action figures too from the Wesley Snipes blade. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then just like a ton of vintage Halloween blow molds. I mean, I love blow molds, man, but I'll never pay $250 for a blow mold. You know, the, the prices these days on those things are just insane. But yeah, that was really it. That was my weekend. Yeah. So let's get into our next segment here. Questions for Missy. So we wanted to ask her a couple of questions to do with her horror fandom and get to know her a little better. So who wants to start, gentlemen? I'll go. Okay, so I guess the the million dollar question here is, how did you become a horror fan, and what movie put you over the edge, and when? Describe describe the scene to me. <laughs> Honestly, it's all to do with my dad. He um he started me on horror movies when I was very young. I remember at about seven or eight years old watching Friday the Thirteenth Part One. So that's that's what got me into Friday the 13th being my favorite franchise and that one having a special place in my heart. So that's, um, that's big. And so we always watched horror movies together. He would take me to the movies to see them in the drive-in. I remember that. And when we got our first VCR way back when he used to take me to the video store and we'd pick out the, the cool movies. My first videotape ever when we got our VCR was Fun House. That was my choice. He was trying to get me like, oh, my mom's like, you know, have her get Old Yeller or things like that. And I'm like, no, 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 I want Fun House. <laughs> but Friday the 13th part one, that's my favorite. I know it's not everybody's favorite, but it's my, it's just my go-to. It's my, it's my comfort horror movie. As is many, as is many. I, my, my first question is, when did you realize like you were a, like a horror fan. Like I think everyone kind of knows that time frame in their life. Like for me, it was obviously high school, I would say, is when I really started to get heavy into the horror. I even started like a little club and stuff like that we had and whatnot and going to the video store every week. So when was that time frame in your life when you were like just craving for horror and just like watching just like thousands of horror movies? Middle school. I remember being in middle school and um, I would make my kid, my, my friends would come over. I'd always want them to watch horror movies, but they were always scared and I wasn't. And then I, I remember in um, middle school talking about it with people in my class and like, oh, I have a really great video you should watch. And it was the Evil Dead and I'd never seen it. So I went home after school with this this VCR tape and I put it in before my parents got home and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this was the evil, the first evil dead. Of course, when I'm in middle school, that was something my parents probably wouldn't want me to watch. <laughs> so they didn't know. But yeah, and then I, I, then I was like, I even tried, it sounds really corny, but again, I was in middle school. I used to write little, like try to be like Friday the 13th novels and, and try to write them. Like I'd be in my room and I'd write stories, but they were all very you know, slashery. So they weren't anything original. It was all based on that, but I had those little stories in a notebook. And so, yeah, middle school was definitely. You're doing Friend. fan fiction before fan fiction was a thing. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I didn't have any horror friends. Like it was always me. So I was always just watching them and then I would tape them. I had, you know, with on the VCR, I'd tape it. And then I'd watch it, you know, watch the movies over and over and over again by myself because I didn't have anybody that really wanted to watch them with me, other than my dad, obviously. <laughs> um, one thing that uh, you and I talked about quite a lot when we were together in Salem this past month, I guess, was conventions and people you've met at conventions and stories and stuff like that. So can you tell us like your top 
horror uh, actor interactions that you've had and maybe one you know kind of bad one that you've had over all the conventions you've Gary been over Busey. the years Gary Busey. <laughs> right <laughs> actually I met Gary Busey and I drove down to New Jersey specifically because he was going to be there because I, I I mean on this side of the country he really doesn't come very much and we made sure we were like the one of the first people in line on Friday and thank God because he was arrested on Saturday and taken out of the convention <laughs> so I wouldn't have been able to meet him and I would have been so heartbroken that he um that he was taken away and I, I so thank God I got to meet him but no he was I mean he, he was fine when I met him he he wasn't a problem he but again he was he was that was on Friday in the beginning so I don't know if he had like been drinking the next day or how that went but so he was fine my favorite one that I've met probably Edwin O'Neill which is the hitchhiker from Texas Chainsaw Massacre I met him at Rock and Shock and he he didn't have a line so he sat there and just talked talked for like a half an hour and I didn't I wasn't even asking him to do that he was just talking and telling me behind the scenes stories about Texas Chainsaw Massacre and just little things that happened on the set and it was just a lot of fun to talk to him like that and he's friends with Bill Mosley who was sitting next to him so they were going back and forth and it was just a really fun interaction and I really haven't had any really bad ones I, I think I was telling Steve probably the only one that I can think of that was even a little bit you know rude was we we met Richard Dreyfus, and my boyfriend has a, a very big beard and he we went up there to meet him and Richard Dreyfus looked at him and said what are you a biker and he said no and he's like well then what do you have that beard for you should shave that thing off I don't like it so <laughs> he's like oh okay but he wasn't like you know mean or anything but that's probably like the only one I can think of that made me like oh okay you know <laughs> was an odd comment did you have BC sign silver bullet? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yep. Yep. That's the reason I went down there. <laughs> so yeah, you go to cons a lot, obviously. Do you display your fandom? Like how do you manage your, your collectibles? Well, right now I have I have all of my um autographs in a eight by ten photo album. So I keep those in a photo album out on my coffee table actually so people can see them and I try to kind of I, I I put some of my fan stuff in my hallway and some of it my whole entire house is Halloween themed but as far as keeping some of the like slasher and you know like Pennywise's and my my Jason stuff I tend to keep that in my in my bedroom you know my own personal collection but I do have a Pazuzu statue on my shelf in my um, dining room so if anybody knows what that is and they'll walk nice. by, what the heck? <laughs> Just a casual piece for your dining room. No big deal. <laughs> exactly. All right. So my second question for you is actually a two-parter. So obviously everyone has a favorite horror franchise. So what is your favorite horror franchise? But also maybe, you know, maybe it's the same, you know, based on the character, but who also is your favorite horror character? Friday the 13th is my favorite franchise character. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to go with Jason. Like, he's a badass. I really do. And specifically, Jason from part three. Because he's still alive. He just, he's like at the, at the peak of his, 
his you know his strength and everything and that's when he gets the mask so jason part three out of all of them i got two more questions the first one is who would you say is your horror crush uh probably Kiefer sutherland (laughs) specifically from the lost boys or just now in general um no no i mean definitely lost boys i mean i have a tattoo of david on on my my thigh so definitely that's my horror crush (laughs) nice and my last question is we've talked about movies talked about celebrities but one thing i always like to talk about is scenes what are some of the best scenes in horror history and what would you say is the scariest scene for you that you've ever seen okay now best scene that's hard there's so much to think about. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm going to go with the scariest for me right off the bat because I can think of it. And this goes back to when I was, again, it's, it's probably not scary for most people. But when I was a kid and it always stayed with me and it's when a stranger calls and it's that scene when they call her and they say that he's calling from inside the house and she, you know, that the shadows coming down from the staircase There's no gore. It's just all psychological. And I used to babysit at that time. So it would scare me enough that I didn't want to go check on any of the kids that were upstairs. It scared me. So that, and that's always kind of stuck with me, that particular scene, that particular um, movie. So, I mean, as far as best scene, yeah, I'm like, there's so many things to think of. There's so many. Yeah, just any other top of your head that you like for whether good reasons, weird reasons, you know, the dance and Friday four, like it could be, it could be anything really. Absolutely. I know you're thinking about that stuff. That is leave, pretty. Leave Crispin Glover alone, Steve. Why are you picking on him? It was great. I I, I think it's like one of the best scenes in horror. That's a, how big how bigger of a compliment can I say? Oh my God. I don't want to steal yours, but yeah, that is a great scene. And you do you know I when I I met and her name is going to elude me right now, but the girl from Part Four that gets killed in the raft because her boyfriend was dancing with one of the twins and she takes off and goes down to the raft. I met her recently and she was telling me that that scene, Crispin Glover was not told to dance like that. That he, they were just all told to just just dance and he just went off the wall. So they were all just kind of taken aback by his dancing in that, in that scene. So. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny, but it seems very, very Crispin Glovery, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Missy. We hope you all learned a little bit more about Missy tonight through that little spiel. Next, what watched? Bust it out, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get it together. I actually have some tonight. I know everyone gasp is in shock. And I guess I'll start us off. Why not? First, so my first one tonight is Hell House LLC Origins the Carmichael Manor. This is a 2023 release. You can check it out over on Shudder. I'm a fan of the Hell House LLC franchise. Uh, the first being obviously my favorite. The sequels, you know, hit and miss at certain times, but uh, I was ex- very excited to check this one out. And overall, I got to say, I thought this one was the best of the sequels so far. They did a really good job. So in this one, they head to the Carmichael Manor. So they, you know, they abandon the Abaddon Hotel, which was the main focus of the first three movies. And we follow these investigators that head into the Carmichael Manor. There was a grisly murders in the 80s. So they're going there to, you know, see if there is any hauntings. They do a really, I won't get it too spoilery, 
but obviously they there's a connection between the Carmichael Manor and the Abaddon Hotel, and they do a really good job of bringing both of those like into the story together and mending the two stories into one. The last 20 minutes, there are some legitimately great scares and some of the best scares of the year, I think, so far. Now, it is low budget, obviously, like this whole franchise is, so there is some stuff that's left to be desired in the acting and some of the camera work and stuff, but it is found footage, so most of the camera work can be forgiven for that reason. So yeah, I mean, overall, I enjoyed it. Will it make my top 10? Doubtful, but it is definitely a solid watch, especially if you are a fan of the Hell House LLC franchise. So yeah, I give it a three and a half out of five. What what number is that now in that franchise? Four. Four? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I still need to rewatch number one. All right, so I'm going a little bit backwards here, and it's Friday 13th, part six, Jason Lives from 86, and I did this on Friday 13th last was it in October? Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, this one's like the new age for Jason, right? We have one through four where he's doing his thing as a normal human. Five is obviously not him and Troy. And then six, freaking Tommy Jarvis, you know, has to have his closure. He goes to the cemetery and wakes Jason up by freaking stabbing him and freaking electric or lightning bolt strikes and hits him. This one is definitely where the series turns a corner from like, you know, more serious nature or whatever to Jason just being unstoppable, fucking WWE wrestler wrestler status, things like that. But I love it mostly because one, I mean, um, Jason is just fucking cool in this one. But two, I love Tom Matthews, especially from Return of the Living Dead. And in this one is Tommy Jarvis. He's just he's a delight. I really like his um his acting. I'm really happy he's back in the uh the uh, fan films. I forget what they're uh, never hike alone films. Those are really cool. And this one it's just like turn your brain off, action packed, great, great kills, great looking ladies. Like I said, Tommy is really good in it, and I love it. So that's Friday thirteenth, which I'm sure they're streaming somewhere. If not, you should definitely get the Blu-ray. Hey, Missy, you can go. Uh... All right, I, it's it's not a movie. It's on Netflix. Follow the House of Usher. I finished that one. What a great series. I mean, if you're even a little bit of a Poe fan, I suggest that you you watch this series. All the Easter eggs for Edgar Allan Poe is thrown in here. It is it is done so well. It's a modern take on all of his stories. Every it, there's nine episodes, and it's about a family whose last name is Usher, and they're very powerful. They work in the the pharmaceutical industry and. They're, you know, their pharmaceuticals are, are, are not, they're not marketed, you know, to, they're marketed well, well, but they don't tell the truth. So there's, there's, you know, bad side effects to these pharmaceuticals. So every, something happens with all of his kids and every episode is each one of the kids deaths. And it goes back, it tells the story, it flashes back, it shows you their funerals at the beginning and it flashes back to each one of their deaths that ties into one of Edgar Allan Poe's stories. And I was just, I loved it. I thought it was great. It's definitely worth it if you're, you're even a little bit of a fan. So that's Follow the House of Usher. It's on Netflix. I give it four out of five. Nice. All right. My first one this week is a movie we got as a screener. It comes out November 21st on VOD, and it's called Liberty. So Liberty is a story of a guy who uh, he really likes animals and he feels that people have been mistreating animals for too long. So he decides that he wants to do something about it. And what he does is he kidnaps, uh, I think it's like eight people 
and he puts them in a cage and then he starts treating them like people would treat animals at a zoo or at a circus. And it's basically the story of him trying to prove different points about animal cruelty to these people. And then you figure out why he's picking these people, what kind of like things he's doing to prove his point and what his ultimate plan is, which of course I won't spoil, but it all comes together in the culmination of something that he's working on. So this is a, it's, it's an indie film. The majority of the film takes place in a barn where the cage is set up. There are some like pretty clever ways of showing humans what animals are like and what they feel when they're in captivity versus what humans feel in the same situation. There's a lot of contrast between the animals and the people. And overall, I think it was a, a good message to convey. My issue is it came off a little bit too preachy, in my opinion. It, it felt like it was made by PETA, which I, I respect what PETA does, but sometimes I feel they go maybe a little too far in some of the things that they try to accomplish. And I think the movie is kind of the same way. I absolutely believe that people should treat all animals like well, but I think this one it just goes a little bit too much on the preaching side. So I still think it's worth watching and people should check it out when it comes out on VOD on November 21st. But personally, I'm at a three out of five. So that's Liberty. That's a good one-two punch with Cannibal Holocaust, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really got to catch up on uh, Fall of the House of Usher because I've heard nothing but amazing things about that. So that's definitely something I have to jump on. All right, my last one tonight is one that was recommended by Steve, and it is Cuando Asecha la, la Maldad, a.k.a. When Evil Lurks. This one is an Argentinian horror movie. It is currently over on Shudder, so you can check it out on there. Uh, this one is pretty interesting. Uh, it gave me very big The Dark and the Wicked vibes, for those of you who maybe have seen that a couple of years ago. I think my number two movie from that year, actually. But yeah, so this one is about, you know, two brothers that are in this sort of small village when they're asked to go over to this house and what they encounter is, my goodness, uh, a man that is severely bloated, uh, apparently infected by a demon. Kind of reminded me of, if you've ever seen The Walking Dead, there was like a bloated zombie in the well. It definitely had those type of vibes. But yeah, this man uh, has seen better days. But basically what the family is telling these brothers is that there's a demon in him and he can't be killed. There's like, so like what we come to learn is these demons can infect your body, but there are sort of gremlin rules, as you will, of things you can and cannot do to defeat this demon. You know, you can't have... You can't use, like, electricity around it. You can't kill it with a gun, amongst many other things. But basically what happens is they essentially unleash this demon into this village, and it starts spreading. And I'll leave it at that for now. Overall, I really enjoyed this movie. The beginning and middle, like, holy shit, it, it's quite a wild journey and it really doesn't take, it really puts the foot on the gas almost immediately. And it doesn't hold hold up for most of the movie. It doesn't let up, I should say, for most of the movie. The problem is, I, I think the third act was lacking from the first two thirds of this movie. Because the first two thirds of this movie, it's like there's some holy shit moments. Like moments that literally made my jaw open and say, holy fuck, I can't believe they did that. But, th but then the third act just, I don't know. It, it just lost me. And... 
I, I just wanted more finality with the ending too. Like I felt like it just left it so wide open that you're kind of like, wow, that's it. And it just left me a bit disappointed. But overall, I still think a great movie, one that potentially could sneak into my top 10. You know, it ain't going to make top five or anything, but something maybe that would make nine or 10. We'll have to see how the rest of this year goes. We are heading towards the end of it. But uh, I, this one is definitely worth your time. There's a lot of great stuff in here. Once again, caveat, I know some of you don't like subtitled movies. This is a foreign horror movie, so you will have to read it. Um, but I definitely think this is one that's worth your time. It's interesting. It has some, like I said, genuinely shocking and gory-ass moments. So I definitely recommend it. Uh, I give this one a three and a half out of five. Honestly, probably would have been even higher had the third act, I think, followed as good. It honestly might have even been top five, top three had that ending landed. But still definitely a solid movie. Do you like the goat? <laughs> um, yeah, there are there are several goats in this movie, actually. Um, beautiful looking goats. And yeah, there is one specific scene with a goat that is one of those jaw-dropping moments, honestly. And it was pretty fucking awesome. So yeah, I love the goats. <laughs> that, that's how I, I pitched it to Joe. I'm like, Joe, you got to watch this movie. It's really cool. It's got goats. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's how I get Joe to watch movies. I thought about him when I watched the movie and saw the goat part. That's what I thought. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> Perfect. All righty. My last one is 1995's John Carpenter's Village of the Damned, which is a movie I thought I hadn't seen until I watched the very final scene where Christopher Reeve is like putting up a brick wall in his mind uh, to fight these kids. And basically it starts off like really disturbing. There's a, you know, small U.S. town, whatever. They're hanging out, having a barbecue. And then everyone within a certain geographical location just like falls over and collapses right and knocks out cops try to get into the town they immediately collapse and like what the fuck and then automatically or just randomly everyone wakes up again and it turns out that a lot of women were impregnated during this time where they were all knocked out and nine months later they all give birth on the same day to these little freaks that turn out to be alien uh, human hybrids right they all have this like almost silverish blonde hair they're all fucking weird uh, Christopher Reed plays like the town doctor who's really good in this but for oh and also as Mark Hamill too is like a preacher the town preacher he's really good in it as well so awesome premise until the child actors arrive and that can make a break a film for you and man these kids were like brutal to watch and then there was a really weird miscast too in my opinion and Christy Alley plays this doctor slash government agent kind of person but I think she like does she it's a terrible miscast. Like she doesn't come off as believable as like the government, like scientist kind of person. So cool premise, cool execution, but those child actors definitely needed some work. So I ended up giving it a three out of five. I still enjoyed it. It was streaming on Tubi. I'm not sure if it is. It might've been one of those catch it before it's gone kind of things, but village of the damned by John Carpenter, three out of five. Yeah. Those it's catches before you're gone is always, like it gets me every get month you. oh my you. god like yeah i get into a panic almost and the worst thing is 80 percent of the films on tubi will just go back the next month i think it's just <laughs> uh, but what, what i love about tubi though compared to other uh and i, I love plugging tubi but <laughs> is that if you put a film on your list and it leaves when it comes back it'll still be on your list whereas <laughs> other movies will remove it once it goes off and comes back it's not there so i really love that about tubi so shout out to them for doing that I have one. It's from 2010. It's called The Perfect Host. I was flipping through Peacock on this one. So it's on Peacock. 
And it stars David Hyde Pierce. And you guys might remember him as Niles on Frasier. And I loved Frasier and I loved, he was my favorite character on Frasier. So I'm like, oh, I want to see this. And um, it was about, he was about a, a person who had a, did a bank heist and he was, he was being, you know, his picture was all over the news and he was trying to hide out. So he ended up knocking on this guy's door and trying to get his way into the, into his house by pretending to be a friend of a friend. And he, and David Hyde Pierce is the, the homeowner, brings him in and he's having a dinner party and it just turns into who is the bad guy and who is the good guy. I mean, it, it ends up being a, not anything that I thought would happen. There was a lot of twists and turns in this. David Hyde Pierce ends up, you know, being crazy and does some pretty shocking things. And, and, um, but it had a very lifetime movie feel to it. You know, it just, it didn't seem like a, like a cinematic movie. So it was a very lifetime movie feel and it had a lot of twists, but it's almost like, okay, enough. It was going kind of haywire at the end. It was it was good towards at the end is really where it kind of fell apart for me. It kind of lost it. It was too many twists and turns and it just kind of went all over the place. But I mean, it was it was good. It was entertaining. I made a good one time watch. I wouldn't watch it again. I'd say a two and a half out of five. And again, you can watch it on Peacock. Nice. All right. My last one this week is a uh, 2023 film that I watched over on Netflix. It is a Spanish film by the name of Sister Death. So this is a prequel to a movie uh, called... St Steve, can you give the Spanish translation, please? Thank you. Uh, no, I'm not Spanish. <laughs> so... <laughs> so this is a prequel to the 2017 movie by the name of Veronica. So the story is basically of a little girl and she has some kind of like vision and she seems to perform a miracle when she's a child it's a little bit like the sisters of fatima if anyone is familiar with that story except it's just her in uh, in this film and then the play uh, the movie takes place like 20 25 years later where uh, she's now working as a teacher at a convent and a school at the same time and there's a bunch of her students who are starting to feel an eerie presence that's happening within the school so she tries to figure out what's going on and as she's doing that she starts to get some of the eerie presence doing some things to her like moving chairs and you know starting to show themselves and she tries to unlock the mystery before it's too late because the presence starts attacking the girls and eventually unfortunately kills one so it's she's really wants to figure out what's going on in this school and as she does that she uncovers a bigger mystery that she wasn't expecting so everyone on this podcast knows i'm a big fan of nuns i i find them creepy for some reason it goes way back to my childhood i just they always creep me out i, I don't know what it is creepy and sexy times yeah <laughs> yeah but in this case definitely creepy and there's some good imagery in this one there's one ghost slash demon in particular that I found really unsettling. And if there's something I love about horror is when I'm unsettled because, I don't know, it's just a cool feeling. And they definitely did that with this. It is a little bit boring at times, though. It takes a long time to kind of get going. And the story is a bit of a mess. Like, there's a lot of elements that they throw at you. Now, again, it could be a lost in translation thing because it's in Spanish. Uh, and Netflix, for some reason, I don't know if it's the same thing in the US, but they dub the films. They don't uh, subtitle them. And I really hate that I don't have the option here. And 
don't know if it's the same thing in the US, but in Canada, that's how it is anyway. So unfortunately, it was dubbed, and I'm sure there's some stuff that just wasn't translated properly. But I still think it's a solid film. You don't need to see Veronica uh, to understand this film. It really only comes into play in like the final, final scene, uh, which kind of takes place at the time of Veronica. But other than that, it's recommended that you watch it, but it's not necessary. So that's Sister Death over on Netflix, and I gave it three and a half stars out of five. All righty. Well, thank you, everyone. That was wonderful. And now, bust out them trivia scores, Todd, because it is time for a very special edition of Trivia Tonight. Missy is going to be giving us the questions tonight. So all three of us will have a chance to score nine potential points. Oof. It's going to be me, obviously. But big points on the line, so let's hear them scores, Todd. Well, quarter number four, Steve and Joe both tied at 11. Me having a terrible, terrible quarter at seven. It is any man's game. Let's freaking go, you turds. Okay. All right. You ready, guys? Let's do it. Yes. All right. Missy, where did you come up with these questions? Are they off the top of your head? Shut did up, you polluter. You, you don't get to know. <laughs> Quiet. What side exactly? Nice try, Joe. Some of them are bullet related, so oh. and it's not it, but there's some bullet related. But what you need to know is, uh, Steve uses Alexa to figure out the questions. She's right. coming on every now and then, and he Joe's just... just a lying sack of shit. Okay. Steve, Steve has AI listening. That's right. Uh, His wife's in the background too. Like, I got a pretty hard one to start off. So I'm going to be, everybody can get this one. Okay. All right. What uh, name the movie? Okay. I'm going to say, what movie has the opening line? Nice pussy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i feel like i just watched one that had a really interesting line like that what was it was it on pornhub yes that's it <laughs> it, it might have been a nun one um uh, i'm thinking it's gonna be a, it's a cat of some type possibly i feel like we've watched like i feel like i just watched a movie where i heard that line let's go uh just i'm throwing one out there let's go alien that's nope. a good one good guess jonesy <laughs> good guess though with jonesy uh, yes that, that was a good guess i'm not even gonna venture a guess right now i got I'm, nothing i'm gonna go i feel like i really it's really recently that i watched something and i was like wow that's that's how they're starting this film it was something on amc that was they Did they're they doing a lot of no nice cat yeah I don't know. A totally different voice I, I mean, i'm gonna go to the witch just the witch. Yeah, no, the witch. Whoa. The fuck? <laughs> Nicest <laughs> pussy. It's the. <laughs> no, we... What uh, is it? Have another guess? Nah. Okay, Steve, I'm very pointed in you. Oh. I expected you to know this one. Shadow of the Vampire. That's right. Oh, I knew it was something Steve. I watched recently. And we commented on it we saying, did. oh my God, this is an opening, the opening line ever. That's right. <laughs> I you see. I, I knew I was something we watched recently and I couldn't figure out which one. And yeah, we did comment. We're like, wow, that's that's how you open a movie. First line. Nice pussy. Like did it have to do with a cat? Or <laughs> Yeah, he was filming okay. a woman playing with a cat and that's what okay. it was. <laughs> Yeah, Shadow with Vampire isn't that kind of movie. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So 
second one. Name the town in Silver Bullet. Oh, gosh, God. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not like I just watched it two hours ago. <laughs> right. I watched it last night. Um, Fucking shit. I, I, I know it begins with an A, I feel like. I don't have a clue. Right, me either. Almer's, Almer's Ledge. <laughs> it's something like that. I feel like it begins with an A. That's not, I can't remember. I could be totally uh, wrong, though. No, wait. Oh, wait. Harker's? Okay. What did you say? Harker's? Nope. No? Okay. <laughs> so confident, too. Okay. Everybody give up? Yeah. Yep. No worries. Yeah. Harker's Mills. Oh, you're close. Oh, you're close. I was close. Yeah. I was close. You're very close. Good job. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I have a tattoo of all the like, Stephen King towns and stuff, and that's definitely one of them. I oh, know. really? That's cool. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> all right. Third one. Somebody better get this one. If you guys just watched it. We're, We're trying. Shoot. <laughs> name. What's the name of the baseball bat? Peacemaker. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Steve on the board. Yes. Yep. Okay. Is Peacemaker one word or two words, though? One, one word on yeah, the they bat. They put one word on the bat, yeah. Yeah. So is the show. So, yes. uh, I've, okay. an easy DIY prop replica. If you yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so here's one Gary Busey related. Oh, nice. <laughs> Gary Busey's son, Jake. I'm sorry, Luke Busey. Oh, in what 2023 horror film? Oh, he has a son yeah. named Luke Busey. First, I only know Jake. Yeah. Busey. Well, yeah, we know Jake Busey. <laughs> yeah, 2023. And you guys have oh. all seen. Yeah, oh, wow. a, that never helps, by the way. We always. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember the movie awesome. we were watching tonight. Uh, I remember seeing that in um, in the trivia for a movie. I'm like, oh, Jake Busey. Oh, wait, it's um, Cobweb. Yes. Oh. Who, who's he in Cobweb? He's, He's one of the bullies. He's the bully that gets his life broken. Wow. Oh, okay. good. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> I like that movie. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. All right. I know. I, I saw him and I was like, oh, he looks really familiar. And yeah. I looked it up. Oh, interesting. That's a lot. Okay. And here's another silver bullet. What picture is on the kite flown by Brady? Smiley face. Uh, yes. Yeah. So much for Joe's nine points here that he was expecting. <laughs> yes, big zero currently. So now I'm completely done with Silver Bullet. So we're switching gears. Okay. Okay. What Huey Lewis in the news song plays? Have to be square. Okay, good. <laughs> for the American Psycho. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we know the question before it was asked. <laughs> I know you guys probably asked it before. No, nah, it's just um, a, we're, we're an amazing scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah we we really cover that one. I, love, I, I absolutely. That was actually one of my my things I almost picked. Was oh, that would have been sweet. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I didn't. I can't um, believe we haven't covered it already. I know we talked. I didn't even think we covered it in the three episodes. guys days. No. Yeah. Who no. do you have like a dog or something? <laughs> <laughs> or no? Who do you have like feed, a puppy? Feed stray cat. And Steve likes that because that guy gets killed. That's right. He doesn't yeah. like Jared Leto. There you go. Oh yeah yeah. All right. Everyone Are you ready? Wants the name of the child patient that grew up to shoot Dr. Malcolm Crow in the sixth sense? Oh, good question. The, the, his in the in the movie? Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah but what's I know but I that's, that's, yeah, yeah, what's the what's the name of the 
the person. Tim, the, Timmy? The name, character, the, name, the name of the character. It's not Timmy. Timmy. You're character thinking of South Park, Steve. <laughs> like Bruce Willis, obviously. Oh, I, thought, I thought it was Timmy. I don't know. Good I like how he really committed to that role, though. For, like, he did. He was great. Role, he's fucking around downtown yeah, Philadelphia. And his tidy whities should I reach for the VHS tape and cheat? <laughs> no, it, it, probably, it probably wouldn't even tell you. It would definitely yeah, wouldn't be on there. <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be a very like obscure thing Imagine, to put on there. After being shot by Timmy yeah. Williams, <laughs> <laughs> they just ruined the whole twist. Oh, he said I, think it, I like, made the point for Donnie Wahlberg personally, but that's no, just me. Hell no. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember, I remember he said he, he like but... remembers as he's negotiating with him. Yeah, he calls him like, "Come on, butt kiss, like." Yeah, he calls him something. He's like pubert. Pubert. pubert that's it. That that's it. Damn it. Adam's family. Yeah, yeah. exactly, Joe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a boy, uh, a name a boy could love. Pubert. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I get nothing. Nothing. It's, um, Vincent. 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 Yes. Yeah, see, I wouldn't have thought that. Played by America's sweetheart, Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> right. Yes. Has he ever done a con? I have not seen him. I've I've hey, fucking he, loved he, that. He should. He does Saw, right? So yeah, Saw. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, all right. Next one. What is the name of the pet cat resurrected in Reanimator? Church. Is another. Oh, ah, I knew. Steve, I went too quick. <laughs> um. Oh man, I can't even oh, remember that one. It was a Steve yeah. thing. If only would have like. We, we definitely covered that. That one. We yeah. did we at some point. We did. No, no, we didn't cover the film. We never uh, covered Reanimator. No, really? we did no. Uh, From Beyond. Wow. Did we do From Beyond? Did we, we should cover Reanimator? No, we, too, we, we did. We did. Well, we did both through the uh, the retrospective, oh, but we sorry. never actually. We should cover it. all the Reanimators at some point. I liked. The third one's no, really good. we it's don't. Underrated. Trust me, we do not <laughs> want to cover like... all. Well, there was only three of them. Oh no! That was four. Are you aware that Full Moon has been making Reanimator for like six years? Those don't count. Only Jeffrey Combs. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It it stops at Return or whatever it's called. The one Uh, is it Cosmo? No, we're still. Oh yeah, we had a trivia question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just remember he writes a sign. Is it Cosmo? That sounds kind of right. He just writes a sign that says like the cat's dead or something. I don't remember his name. It's yeah. I thought it was either Cosmo or something boring like Arthur. I'll say Cat. That's my guess. Cat. <laughs> it's uh, uh, Rufus. 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 Yeah, I knew he had yeah. some kind of. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to yeah. get these when we're done, Missy. Second Adam to my I massive trivia book. I don't know why I feel like we watched that because I feel like we I watched it for the podcast. Yeah, we, like, we did because we we did the retrospective. So. Oh, that's right, Stuart Gordon. We did Stuart okay. Gordon retrospective. Yeah. 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 Would you say, Todd, you want to add these to the I said, book? Yeah, I'll need these after we're done so I can add them. These are good. Okay. All right. And my last one, I think I'm on number nine here. Mm-hmm. Um, what Academy Award winning actress made her film debut in The Burning? Oh, oh. this we talked about this during The Burning, too. We did. We did. Um, because it has um what's his face uh <laughs> remember he, he, didn't want to take out, he pretended to take <laughs> off his shirt but we all knew that he wasn't gonna take off his shirt <laughs> oh my god it's we did talk about Fuck. this this is annoying i don't remember um, i just watched it like a few months ago wow. we all did did we, did yeah. we review the brain yeah we did we oh, yeah that's why okay yeah uh, cropsy cropsy's um, yep I don't know. Shoot. 
Jason Alexander, <laughs> the, the Academy Award-winning actress. He won it for Shallow Hal, of all things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. That's all. Don't hit <laughs> yeah, his dog tail. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. Um, Tough night yeah. for me. Jennifer Connelly. I don't remember. Jennifer Connelly. Mm. Did she win an Oscar for anything? I don't know. She should have for um, Requiem for a Dream. Maybe she should have for Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. What's uh, Keith David Teller? It's not gonna suck itself. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm a third. No, Jodie Foster was freaking um, Taxi Driver. It's her first movie. So, Charlize Theron. She didn't win no. Oscar. No, Monster. She, she went did for Monster. For Monster yeah. Yeah. Um, that girl that played the female <laughs> boxer. Oh, Hillary Swank. Dad, oh, Hillary Swank. No, no, no. We give up. Is okay. Hillary Swank hot? <laughs> is she attractive or hot? It's a different <laughs> Depends on what movie she's in. Not in Boys and Girls. <laughs> um, it's uh, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. Oh, okay. okay. I would have never guessed that. Yeah. Me neither. What did you win an Oscar for? Uh, the Piano. Mm. The Piano. Is that the one with Adrian? Wasn't it the, wasn't it That's the pianist, pianist that you won for? No, no, no. The one with uh, Harvey Keitel. And, um, she played the piano? Yes. <laughs> what's, the, what's the girl? The girl from uh uh gosh, True Blood. That mean Oh, Anna Paquin? Yeah, she was in that too. She was a little girl. She was her okay. daughter. Huh. Yeah. Let's see. Awards. Won one Oscar for the piano. Correct. Yes. Thanks, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was also nominated. She was also nominated for thirteen for those of you. I remember that movie. I saw it in the movie theater and it was kind of scary because it's the Harvey Harvey Keitel is full nudity in that movie. Oh. Full dong, full dong, huh? Right. Yep, full nudity, and you're like, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> there's there's Harvey's dong, everybody. <laughs> All right, Todd. All right, Joe with a strong prediction tonight came up with zero. <laughs> Stephen, <laughs> myself, Stephen, myself at two piece, which brings us to Stephen the lead with thirteen, Joe eleven, myself nine. Let's go. Thank you, Missy slowly creeping up on joe for the year i think so i'm, I'm coming sorry guys i, right. I didn't know well, that i was gonna say no, no more letting the, missy do the trivia up. all the trivia <laughs> questions i can do the year update hold on yeah no we're, we're inviting her back i mean this is perfect <laughs> okay. the year update the year update is as follows joe in the lead with 74 steve on the tip of his butthole with 72 and me <laughs> creeping over Steve's shoulder at 71. Wow, it's so close this year. Very close. All it takes I, is one person to have like a monster game. A nine day, yeah. Yeah. Sweet. All righty. Let's get into our review then. 1985's Silver Bullet, directed by Daniel Adius, written by Stephen King. Todd, would you like to synopsize for us? Certainly. Now, does Stephen King write the screenplay for this? So, well, so I thought it was actually, a story based off. It's so he wrote he wrote the movie. So actually, okay. I actually watched a whole thing about it today. It's actually based on a calendar. He was supposed to originally do a calendar. Missy probably already knows this since she's like the big Silver Bullet fan. <laughs> but originally, it was supposed to be a twelve month calendar with a he teamed up with like an illustrator. While he was writing, while he was like writing the story for the small little 12 month calendar series, he realized 
like he had a, be- a bigger story than he really wanted. So then they ended up making it into a sort of graphic novel, 127 page graphic novel that he made with the comic illustrator whose name I don't know right now. And yeah, it became Silver Bullet. It wasn't called Silver Bullet. I can't remember what this. Do you know, Missy? It's called... um, yeah, Cycle of the Werewolf. Cycle of the Werewolf. Yeah, I had that one in my chamber in case you asked it too. I'm like, I'm good. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but originally, Don Coscarelli was slated to direct. And then he dropped out due to, I think, creative differences. Because he's being a butthead. Mm-hmm. But yeah, King did pen the script for this as well. All right. So it started in May in a small town. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it came back. The small city of Tarker's Mill, that's Tarker's Mill for the trivia question, is startled by a series of sadistic murders. The population fears that this is the work of a maniac. During a search, a mysterious hairy creature is observed. This strange appearance is noticed once a month. People lock themselves up at night, but there's one boy who's still outside. He's preparing the barbecue. That is a weirdly written <laughs> synopsis on Letterboxd, and it doesn't really, like, if I read that, I'm like, eh, this is kind of lame sounding. But yeah, essentially, uh, we have Corey Haim, who is a young boy. He's, just, he's disabled, and he has a souped-up wheelchair uh, created by his uncle, played by Gary Busey, who's like... He's a fuck up. He's, you know, he's being thrice divorced right now. He's constantly drunk and his sister's taking him in and fucking giving him shit. Like, you're not a good example for my kid. He's impressionable. But you know what? Gary Busey, Busey Red, as he's called in the story, really like has Marty, who's Corey Haim's best interest in mind. Like he may not be the best influence, you know, getting drunk and all this shit in front of him, but he stands up for Marty. He says he's not handicapped. He has nothing against him. He's a good kid, blah, blah, blah. But meanwhile, this little town that typical Stephen King everyone has like this little fucking side story going on is being attacked and ransacked like almost nightly by a mysterious creature that they think is a murderer we got Terry O'Quinn of stepfather fame and of lost fame who I fucking love uh he plays the town the town sheriff we have a bunch of people side characters we have uh, a dude that's in the bar we have a priest uh, we have Brady's little best friend. We have a sister who's narrating the film, which is kind of strange. It pops up randomly, and I forget it exists. And she talks. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Uh, but essentially, Corey Hay Marty is trying to take the lead on the investigation. Why the cops are trying to figure out who the fuck's killing everybody. This is a second time watch for me. I think we watched it the first time on Three Guys Days. I don't love this movie, but I definitely have a new respect for it on the second watch. And we'll talk about this, those reasons later. Missy, why'd you choose it? This movie has such nostalgia for me. I just, I loved it as a kid. I, I find that, I mean, it has some moments of, you know, gore, not not over the top, but it has a lot of humor, in my opinion, too. I love the relationships between um, Uncle Red and Marty and Marty and his sister, Janie. I love that. And all the little side characters. I, I, I just, I think they're they're great. There's a lot of funny moments. It For me, it, it, it keeps my attention. And I was a fan, of course, of Corey Haim um, back when, because, you know, the, he was a, a, a big uh, actor back in the day in the 80s. But I just, I've, I've always loved this movie. It's, I, I, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. So when uh, Cycle of the Werewolf came out, I did read, you know, I did have that graphic novel. So when they came into a movie, I just, I watched that and I just, I fell in love with it. So it, I know it's it's not the best movie out there, the Stephen King but it just it's one that I just always have fun with no matter how many times I watched it. It's quotable. I quote it when I'm watching it all the time. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. So this is 
I think the second time I've ever watched it. Yeah, we did review it back in the Three Guys Days. I believe it was episode 76. I looked it up the other day because I was like, haven't we? Because when Missy brought it up, I like messaged you. I was like, didn't we review this? And she's like, no, we didn't. I was like, I could have sworn we reviewed this. And then we we went back and we figured out it was back way back when in those days. So yeah, overall, yeah, I think this is like a pretty fun movie. I really love Uncle Red. Like uh, Gary Busey does definitely steal the show here. Uh, well, he's one of the people that steal the show. I gotta say, there's some fantastic acting in this movie. It has like a made-for-TV movie vibe, even though it wasn't. So that kind of like throws me off a little bit. But the performances by Busey, Everett McGill as Reverend Lowe, and Terry O'Quinn as the sheriff, I think are without a doubt the three standouts of this entire movie. They just all give amazing performances. This might be a controversial opinion, but this, I feel like we did... God, what's that other Stephen King adaptation? The vampire movie we just, uh, Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. This reminded me. This reminded me a lot of Salem's Lot, but I actually prefer this movie to Salem's Lot. Like you have that small town feel and sort of all of these side stories going on throughout the movie in this small town. But instead of a vampire, you have a werewolf going on uh, on it. And uh, yeah, I mean. This was done better, I feel like, just because Salem's Lot obviously was a miniseries. It was way too fucking long, and it just dragged on, whereas this one doesn't. This one kind of gets in, gets out, and isn't, like, offensively long. But, yeah, I mean, Corey Haim's great. I love the Silver Bullet. It's it's kind of its own character. There's some great chase scene. The chase scene with him and Reverend Lowe, I think, is one of the highlights of the movie as well. Love that. There's definitely some issues with this movie, and I know we'll definitely get into it later. But overall, I had a fun time watching it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, I love Stephen King adaptations, and this one I think is one of the better ones. It's just like a fun movie to watch. You know, it's not one you have to take too seriously. Uh, There's a lot of stuff to kind of keep you interested throughout, so I never felt bored or anything like that. Uh, It starts off like right away. You have someone get their head like, not clean off by a werewolf within the first two minutes, which is absolutely fantastic. And it has one of the scenes that I think is just one of my favorites of all time. You know, it's the church scene, but I'm sure we'll discuss it in more uh, more detail later. It just kind of comes out of nowhere, but at the same time, it's so entertaining and it's it's just a really, really cool scene. I kind of wish we got more of that in, in this movie, which unfortunately we don't. Uh, I love the relationship, like Missy had said, between uh, the, the kid and Gary Busey. I think they just, He's just such a cool uncle, and he really just wants to see him thrive, you know, despite his disability, and just to show that, you know, this kid has a lot to offer more so than just being a disabled person. Uh, Silver Bullet's like a insane wheelchair. I love how it, like, gets souped up throughout the, the film and stuff, and how fast he's going in that thing, like a total danger to himself and everyone else, but it's still pretty awesome. And there's just a lot of, like, really cool scenes, and like we said, there's a lot of uh, quotes, which I'll, I'll say later, that I really like. I think they're just really funny and things that I don't remember hearing in other movies. So it's a fun one. You know, it's one that I've seen maybe three, four times at this point, And uh, I enjoy watching every time. Todd, what are your gripes? I know you seem to be the, the <laughs> dissenting voice of, of on this movie. So. Dissenting. Here it comes. First of all, is Gary Busey a good guy? He's not, he's not a good guy. He's fucking drunk, right? This is a guy that you thought, I've said this before, when everyone has that friend, friend's family when you're young, that like, yeah, I can get beer from this guy, from his dad, because his dad's a piece of shit. This is what fucking Gary Busey is. 
Is he fun? Sure. Is he a good guy? He's not, but he's still entertaining, right? Because Gary Busey is fucking insane. Like he, he's he has to be drunk or high or a combination of the bolt of of it all in every scene this movie, right? Or I don't know. But here's here's my like little nitpicks with it. You don't give a fucking ten year old kid a, a motorcycle essentially, and he just speeds off, no helmet. <laughs> No fucking turn signals, no horn, nothing. And he's just fucking whizzing around town. Okay, I know I know we're giving him like an avenue to express himself, but maybe motorcycle isn't the right fucking choice. So his the sister definitely has a point in saying you're no good for hanging around my son. Because he's giving a fucking motorcycle, he's drinking, blah blah blah, all that stuff. Those are my like really super nitpicky things. Everything else is just like standard stuff. Hey, it's the eighties. They the kids went off all day. Nobody knew where they were. That was the 80s. <laughs> on motorcycles? I don't know about motorcycles, but <laughs> so so I'm gonna I'm gonna come to defense on Gary Busey's character here because I think he's actually extremely layered in this movie for a for like a character that is supposed to be sort of the fun uncle, but clearly he's dealing with alcoholism and some sort of depression. I think we find out towards the beginning of the movie that he just broke up with his girlfriend or he's getting divorced he or something worse, like that. and they mentioned the right. third time right yeah. so who's who so the getting... woman in his bed though uh, the fourth the next wife damn <laughs> <laughs> but i mean he's he's very layered here like he, he there is a good man in there and you see it like throughout the movie with him and marty but he's also dealing with his inner demons as well going through this divorce heavily drinking because of it i assume i don't know maybe he was an alcoholic before the divorce we don't really know so yeah i mean i think that you know it's good writing from king like i know he i feel like he does that a lot you know he, he definitely because obviously king was an alcoholic himself and dealt with severe addiction so i'm sure you know he's sort of writing himself into this story a little bit there as well yeah king also had some massive daddy issues and I think he tries to show that, you know, despite not being a perfect character, that Gary Busey's character is at least trying for the kid, you know, like his own problems are one thing, but despite all that, he's still trying to be there for him and trying to show him support because he seems to insinuate that the kid's mother really only sees him as a disabled person and not as like a regular kid. And that's what right, Gary Busey's trying to show motorcycle. Yes, and fireworks and rockets. <laughs> fireworks. <laughs> yeah. Now, don't uh, use these badly, kid. Right. Okay, Uncle. Can I have a shot? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although yeah. watching this differently, it, when I was younger, I always thought the mom was just, oh my gosh, she's so awful. Like she's so mean to him. And now I'm looking at it, going, well, this guy is sitting there drinking wild turkey right out of the bottle, right in front of this kid. <laughs> And uh, he's obviously does that often. And so I was like, well, I guess I see her point a little bit now, you know, as an adult, a different perspective. Yeah. And then then there's also a lot of things I want to talk about with the werewolf stuff. So we have a werewolf attacking and killing people throughout the town. You have a guy with like this absolutely crazy greenhouse, you know, that he has in his house, which is super impressive my wife was like wow mm-hmm. how many plants does he have in this thing like how big is this thing it's like two stories and... really likes wrestling too yeah yeah that's... oh my god yeah. funny there's in this movie he is <laughs> yeah. um they're they're just end up on welfare or whatever he yeah. says <laughs> shut up yeah. bitch like go back inside you drunk <laughs> absolutely uh, yeah so what i was getting to is that so it eventually does kill a kid and the father obviously super upset about it and he goes to it there's a great scene at a bar 
where you know the cops trying to tell this the people of the town not to do their own justice that he's going to take care of it and then the dad steps in saying basically like you have no right to tell the, the town that we need to do private justice to for my son so i'm curious from all your perspectives do you think the town is in the right to do their own justice or is that exactly or is the cop right and say this is you're one step away from lynching essentially the wrong person they weren't doing enough there's only well i mean granted that's a very small police force from what they show so i don't know if it's i'm hoping it's more than those two guys but but there was too many murders at that point, like nothing, nobody, they didn't even have a clue. So for them, I don't know, you know, they went out to the park where, you know, that kid was, was murdered. I think they were all in the right to do that. It's time. Okay. We let the cops do their thing. And at this point we need to do something. We need to figure something out. And, and they, I, I think they were in the right to do it. It's, it's a really tough situation if it was my kid i would 100 percent be on the father's side being like we gotta get some street justice we gotta go out figure it out but at the same time it's a very dangerous and slippery slope because like you said you could go out you kill the wrong person yeah i mean you you know it's you gotta kind of let the law take its time it, but it's a very frustrating thing because usually they take way too long, like you said. So I, I honestly can see both sides of the store, both sides of the argument here. And it's a tough one to decide what the right one is. But I'm kind of always on the side of let law enforcement do what they're supposed to be doing, which is their job. And street justice usually never works out well, usually. Yeah, you know, Terry Terry O'Quinn hit it on the head where it's like, you know, this is one step away from being a lynch mob. And we all know how that worked in, you know, in tr more troubling times. And I do understand their point of view, too. Like Joe said, like, if it's your kid, like, yeah, he, he'd, he'd be out there fucking with a shotgun looking for him. But the problem I have with it is, one, that fucking ringleader in the in the um, the bar that keeps, like, egging on the, the deputy, he's a stupid piece of shit. Like, shut your fucking mouth up. I hate people like that. Like, well, because I'm over here drinking a beer. I know more than the fucking cops do. Blah, 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 blah. You have that in real life, and it just drives me crazy. But what is their end game? Like, they're fucking walking around with shotguns because they don't think it's a werewolf. They don't think it's a wolf or a bear or anything. They think it's a human. So what, the fucking guy's going to be walking out there? We got him. There he is. Which leads to a scene that I think is meant to be super cool, but I think it's just is so awful because the the reactions and the acting in that scene of the group of the hunters that get picked off, it, in my opinion, was just like so hokey and so awful. Especially like one of the older gentlemen that's like, oh, "I'm getting out of here" or something like that. Like, oh, <laughs> it was awful. See, I I like that scene, but I totally see what you're saying. Like, it's to me, it was like a fun scene, right? Like, I I didn't take it as like a serious scene because there was some goofy shit in it. But I loved seeing like, especially like with the fog sort of rising up and you can't really see the werewolf but you kind of see parts of the werewolf kind of coming at them he's and stuff in the like fog that. he's under <laughs> yeah i thought it was i thought it was cool had they played it more like that this is the point where i say it this has like a made for tv movie feel and this scene in particular really gave me that sort of made for tv movie feel i think you sort of i don't know bit higher budget or sort of even film this in a different way, this scene could have been like way more effective. And that that scene had one of the quotable lines in there too, when the, the old man was, was scared and the woman says, you're going to make lemonade in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a, a note on Marty and why I think he's a little, a little prick. Uh, 
So, hey, if you're in a wheelchair, you can still be a prick. We're not picking on anybody. Yeah. Uh, Marty was more upset, way more upset, when the fucking carnival and the fireworks show was closed compared to when his fucking best friend Brady was torn apart. He's like, the fu- <sighs> the fireworks are... I'm like, dude, you're, your fucking bud was just ripped apart, you little sack of shit. And then he has audacity to go sneak out of house. How he doesn't break his neck is fucking beyond me climbing out of the second story window and his like hips below don't work right whatever but he drives a stupid souped up cart over to the park and he fucking litters all of his fireworks into the pond like i'm like are you kidding me like that just it's a nitpick but marty's a little piece of shit and i'll stand by that (laughs) did you guys have any sort of inkling that the reverend reverend low like obviously we find out what halfway through the movie that it is reverend low which was a really cool reveal right marty shoots the firework in his eye and then you know a few minutes later we see reverend low with the uh, eye patch on his eye so it's it's you know revealed you know before that did you was there any inkling like watching it now after watching it the second time like i feel like they were like He's pretty like scary looking. Like even though like the very first shot you see of him, I feel like it was kind of. Now it just seems like obvious that it is him, but I didn't the first time watching it. I had no clue up until the reveal. Were, were we meant to think it was red? I don't think so. I don't think so. I I don't remember. Yeah, it's been so many times I've seen the movie, so I don't remember from the first time when I saw it if it was a huge reveal to me. But his his character is so good because he's so he's like a typical priest in the beginning. And then as as I think he's getting closer to the full moon, he's getting more and more, you know, descending into that monster. Into, and, and you could see like he's starting to, you know, get scruff and, you know, not not looking as clean cut as he was and acting a little bit more unstable just as he goes goes along. So I, I like to watch that descent of him. So. Yeah, I I think I the problem is the actor they chose for that role. He just looks evil, yeah. you know, even when he's trying to be good. You know, he's just one of those faces that you're like, he's probably the bad guy. <laughs> you know, he's just got one of those looks. But I think Todd's actually onto something. I have a feeling that a lot of people the first time would have thought it was red. And the reason I think that is they set up that he's absent a lot. He wakes up like drunk. But was it really just alcohol? Is he just trying to like drink his problems away? Like we don't know what he's actually going through in his life. And I thought they were kind of insinuating a little bit that it could be him that's been doing this. That's why he's so absent. And that's why he's not there for the kid. And he's almost like giving the kid the tools to protect himself from an attack, you know, as if like, I don't know, like I think they're setting up a little bit. But again, it's stuff to say because I've seen it. I watched it a long time ago. So I knew immediately who it was but i think there's definitely some people who would have thought it would be red so what do you guys think are the best kills in this movie because there are quite a bit of them but they are a little bit on the cheesy side compared to other horror films but are there any that stand out to you i think the woman in the beginning the the second kill the pregnant woman i i thought that was probably the the hardest one to watch only because with the clawing i thought it was done really well that, that brings up a good point because i remember the line that jane overheard in the park from her estranged lover whatever he is he says this stupid line he's such an asshole he's like it's your oven and it ain't my bun and he walks away i'm like dude what the hell and then she dies i'm like man no justice for her but my favorite kill is uh terry o'quinn's death man like 
he it's a really cool effect when he sla uh, smashes him over the head and like the, you know the blood and the scalp explodes and he's just like on the ground looking up at him and scared eyes and stuff and then he beats him to death that, that was a really cool scene agreed you stole mine yeah i really like that that scene too it's really cool and i think it's probably one of the more gruesome ones like i don't feel like any of the kills are overly memorable in this one but that is definitely one that that stands out a little more yeah i actually like the same one as missy i i thought the, the way that the scratching was being done and it kind of lasts longer than a lot of the other kills a lot of the kills in this movie are really quick like they they're not overly long and and that that's a, for the majority of the werewolf films that's something i want to talk about near the end is i feel the last scene was a little too short like the they the bear, werewolf like barely shows up and they kill him and it's over you know it's like there's not much of a big final scene you know in this movie which i think the movie kind of needed I do want to get to what is my favorite scene in this movie. And I'm curious, Missy, I'm sure this is one that you liked as well. The church scene when all the werewolves are coming mm -hmm. out. I think it's it's like they blew their budget on this scene because yeah. the transformations are really good. The makeup yeah. is probably better in that scene than the actual werewolf they use in the movie. So what, mm -hmm. what does everyone feel about that scene starting with Missy? Yeah, no, I think that's very entertaining. I, I loved all of that. And um you know how and, and to find out it was a you know it was a dream i thought you know okay because you think like oh my gosh this is really going on you know the first time you're watching it but no i thought it was really well done you know because i know that i can admit that there are definitely parts of this movie that are very cheesy and some of the effects are you know are definitely not the best so this one i thought was done very well i like the werewolf on the organ and the way she was kind of dancing on that one that was my favorite one <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is definitely probably the coolest scene in the entire movie. It's actually the one scene I remembered from the first time I watched it. It's just super memorable. It's unfortunate that it's a dream sequence, though, because mm -hmm. like you said, like they probably did blow a lot of their budget on this one scene. That's fucking awesome. I just wish it like meant something like it mm -hmm. meant more, you know, than into the actual story than just a, a simple dream sequence. So I loved it, but. I just wish it was real. Like, you know, dream sequences always kind of bum you out once you find out it's actually a dream sequence. Mm -hmm. But but it's a fucking awesome scene, regardless. Yeah, it is very cool. Missy, does the story, the book, follow closely with the movie? Yeah. 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 It's pretty it's it's pretty good. Pretty faithful. I haven't been the werewolf in a long time, but from what I remember, it's it's pretty close. So how does everyone feel about the end? I, I just felt it was, you know, they're set up, okay, you got to get the silver bullet, they melt down their chains, and then they're ready for this big confrontation. But the big confrontation is three minutes long. You know, they're, they're waiting, basically watching TV, uh, which made me laugh because I, I remember when TV, like cable would end at night and they'd play the national anthem. And I remember being so bummed and then you'd have to wait for the national anthem in the morning before like cartoons would start and shit. So that's such a, a thing that, that in Canada too. Yeah. Except with our, our national anthem, right? So, so yeah. Yeah, lost, ours. <laughs> well, what is if, this? if I'm watching an American channel, it'd be the American one. So it's just, uh, oh. uh, but yeah, so I just thought it, sh it needed a bigger final confrontation, you know, because it's like literally them just waiting overnight for him to, to to show up he shows up a small scuffle and they shoot him in the eye movie over so what I, do you all feel about the last scene i agree it was very lackluster for me too it went way but yeah it, this should have been a, a definitely more to do with with that there was more action with the werewolf when he was before he was a full werewolf 
you know, in, in scenes earlier. And then for him to be all monster, like they said, he's now fully a monster and he's that easy to kill. You know, I mean, I, I know it's a silver bullet. I get that. But but it just it just seemed like it would be it would be longer and it would be more intensive after all that. So I, that was one of my gripes, too. Yeah, I never it never felt like they were in like crazy danger, you know, mm-hmm. like there should have been there need to be more stakes, like whether, you know, I know Red gets kind of thrown against the mirror there at one point. But like, I don't know, I feel like they should have gotten more someone should have been more like close i guess to like mortally wounded maybe red maybe kill red honestly like i don't know like i don't and that's another point i wanted to make is this movie sort of has like an identity crisis i feel like like because i feel like it's like almost sort of like gateway horror like for kids but it's also a little too scary and too gruesome in in parts so like i mean we focus on obviously the kids so it's like almost like a monster squad type movie but then you have these like brutal kills. So like, it's very like, uh, yeah, like I feel like they, and they need to pick a lane, like make it a horror movie or make it sort of an intro to horror movie. And I I think that's definitely a problem here. I also think they screwed up with the ending a little bit. I think they should have incorporated the Corey Haim, Reverend Lowe chase scene into this end section of the movie rather than the middle part of the movie. I think it would have made for a more thrilling sort of thing and then he could have changed once sort of night came or you know he could have been in the chase in the early evening into night and he could have changed over and it could have been a good transition that way I think that would have been more effective and obviously the one thing we've I think Steve mentioned earlier is the werewolf isn't very cool looking like he he doesn't really look that good and it's a disappointing like honestly their transition the transformations in the church were way cooler looking than what we actually get for the final werewolf reveal. I mean, it just looks, he doesn't really look like a werewolf either. He looks more like a bear almost, or some sort of (laughs) wild animal (laughs) rather than an actual (laughs) werewolf. So that was a little disappointing. I mean, I get it was the eighties, but I mean, fucking, they did it better in werewolf American wolf in, uh, in London. Four years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I think just the final reveal was, uh, and the whole end sequence was a definitely a, so probably the weakest part of the movie. Yeah, I, th- I think Red should have died, honestly. I think he should have given the ultimate sacrifice and ultimate redemption. Like, yeah, he might not be the best guy, but he, he sacrifices himself for his niece and nephew and mm-hmm. saves the day. But they really went kind of wimpy at the end there. See, I this might be an unpopular opinion, but I don't think Red should have died. I think the kid should have died. And the reason I think that is Fuck that, that would... kid. Say it, Steve. <laughs> well, yeah, that, no, that's not what I was getting at. <laughs> is that prick. It would make sense as to why the sister is narrating the movie. Because I don't understand why she's narrating the movie because they don't allude as to why she's doing it. It's It's almost like she's talking about him as if he has passed away. And... But they don't mention that. They don't show that. She's not at, her, at his grave or like writing. A, you know, we don't know. So the only reason to me that that would make sense is if he had passed away in that final scene. And that would have brought the stakes higher. That would have made the monster more formidable. And it would have kind of tied everything else together. I agree. That would have been good. And I don't hate him as much as Tom. But I think that would have been that would work. Little prick. I, I I kept I kept waiting for him to like pop the clutch too hard. If you ever rode my motorcycle and pop the clutch, you fucking go crazy and just eat shit. That been so funny, but they didn't do it. My my favorite scene in that movie, and I, 
I think Joe alluded to it. And I think it's the scariest. It's not gory. It's not a kill. It's that bridge. It's that bridge scene where he he runs out of gas and he can't go anywhere. And he's he's crippled. So he can't he can't run. And Reverend Lowe comes in and he's he just looks evil. He's got his eye patch. He's all scruffy, sweaty. And, you know, he's explaining to him how he's going to kill him. And that to me was was probably one of the more frightening scenes until. And that's one of my Todd gripes on there, too, is do you think that guy would have actually heard him screaming if he was on the tractor? That's no so, way. There's tractor. no way. Okay. <laughs> so Mr. that's a Todd Yeah. I'm like, how the hell did he hear him? He's in an abandoned bridge and and he's yelling and the guy's on a tractor that's wicked noisy i'm like there's no way he would have heard him but hey yeah, he so. comes over uh creepy isn't it what? yeah <laughs> yeah and then priest is gone you know he turns around and he's gone so mm-hmm. what that was an excellent done. scene though he was looking like he's ready to kill this fucking kid and yeah like, it was mm-hmm. really good what they should have done he's he can't he can't go anywhere so he's stuck and that's like the scary part or is he because he could have just gotten up and started walking at that very moment, like in Stepfather Three. <laughs> twist. <laughs> the twist in Stepfather Three, where the guy in a wheelchair, the kid in a wheelchair, just gets up. You know? So it wouldn't I mean, be the first Harry yeah. Quinn movie to like. I, I'm doing this just so my sister has to fucking do everything for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I we felt for walk- her. Cannot walk on all fours like the shallow hell guy. Right. It would have been cool if he was like dragging himself at one point, you know. Arm over He's got arm. Strength for it. We already saw him going up the. the, the How trellis. did he get up that tree? <laughs> that He's branch was like six feet off the ground. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's every time I watch it, I'm like, damn, he's got some upper body strength going. Maybe on. Silver Bullet has a spring or something. <laughs> like, yeah. His uncle, yeah. I, I built in a fucking uh, ramp for you too. You're gonna. Just... Yeah, his, his uncle's like Alfred from Batman, and he's like slowly <laughs> pimping up that thing to become a fucking like Batmobile, you know. And I have one more Todd gripe on here oh, that I want. Excellent, bring him. Is um, okay. So 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 Uncle Red co- goes to Terry O'Quinn, Sheriff Haller. Hey, we think this Reverend is a werewolf, and we want you to check it out. What is the What does the guy do? He goes by himself at night in a full moon to go check out if this Reverend is a werewolf. I mean, come on, that was the dumbest move he made. Bring a shotgun <laughs> or something. Nothing. He's just like, oh yeah, and he's just smoking, like not a big deal. Like he's just chilling out in the driveway, just yeah. going to check werewolf. You know, really. That's a really good one too. Plus, I hate how easily he's he like has his gun out and he slaps it out of his hand really fast. I'm like, come on, Terry. I know you're you're the sheriff. Come on, you can hold the gun better than that. Alrighty. Well, I think that anything else you guys wanna throw get into or should we rate this sucker um yeah we can rate it all right well let's let missy end with it since this was her pick oh. so i'll i'll start us off yeah i mean i think it's 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 a fun movie it's very 80s very time capsule 80s movie it's definitely dated has its issues but i think it's still a fun watch is it something i need to watch every i mean it is a halloween movie right like it ends on halloween night so technically it is a Halloween movie. Is it something I would throw into my Halloween rotation? No, but I think it's something I wouldn't mind revisiting every, you know, few years. I think there's enough there to have fun with. I think this is a great sit down with a group of friends and kind of you can laugh about it or just kind of enjoy it, beer drinking type movie. So yeah, I'm going to give it 
I'm going to give it what I originally gave it uh, based on my letterbox. Three and a half out of five. Steve, what's that movie where the aliens come down and it's like really weird? Paul Rudd talks about it all the time. Oh, it's Mac and Me. Mac and Me. <laughs> yeah. I cannot stop thinking about Mac and Me during this whole movie. With the wheelchair? Yeah. <laughs> yes. There's a scene in Mac and Me with the wheelchair going like 90 miles per hour. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I appreciate you know, people loving this movie. It's just not for me. I, I feel it's a bit too hokey. A lot of missed opportunities. But I got to say, Corey Haim, it's a shame what happened to him. He, he's such a good actor. He, uh, he's he got a lot of charisma. He's fucking, he's he's adorable. He's 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 just fine in all his roles. And it sucks that he went the route he did. So rest in peace to him. But I, I still give this one. And Gary Busey too. Like he had his, he has his physical health ailments. And now he's kind of, you know, off the rocker for a lot of years now. But he's a great actor too. But it's a two out of five for me. I'm closer to Joe on this one. I think it's a really fun movie. Uh, sure, it's cheesy and there's some issues with it. It's not like one of my favorites. But, you know, I watched it three years ago because I watched it while I had Letterbox. So, you know, it hasn't been that long, but I still had as good of a time this time as I did last time. So I gave it three and a half stars out of five. Okay. And for me, it this, like I said, it's it's complete nostalgia for me. I've loved this movie for a long time. It's it's just a fun it's a fun Stephen King movie to watch. It's it's a mindless one. I'll put it on. It's a comfort movie. I'll watch it probably one or two times a year, honestly. And again, all the actors I love. Megan follows too. I was a huge fan of her and Anna Green Gables as well. Yeah, Harry Busey. I love him. He's great. And this is definitely one of my favorite performances from him. I know he's you know done a ton of other movies, but for me, this was just typical Gary Busey. Um, with his little, you know, Uncle Redisms too that he threw out, you know, throughout the movie. And um, it has humor. It's got some got some scary moments. It's got some gore. Corey Haim, of course, like you said, he's he's great. I just I have fun with it. And um, I know it's not the perfect movie. There's definitely a lot of of issues with it. But I I'm I'm with Joe. Three and a half out of out of five on this one. Ooh, I thought you were going to go higher. I'm surprised. No, <laughs> no, because I know it's not a perfect movie. You know, mm -hmm. I, I can understand that. But for me, it's fun for me. And I know it's, you know, it's not the the best, uh, you know, it is, like you said, cheesy and everything. So I can understand that, that mm -hmm. for, you know, for rating it, you know, that's, I think that's more fair than, because <laughs> it's not a critically perfect movie. So. All righty. All right, folks. Well, I think that is about going to wrap it up for this episode. Missy, thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anywhere anyone can like follow you or anything or just come follow, come chat with you on dis the Discord with everyone else? Discord. Yeah, definitely Discord. Um, Missy Lap 3, M-I-S-S-Y-L-A-P 3 on Instagram as well. So um, thanks so much for having me. This was This was a blast. I loved it. Love talking to you guys. Thanks so much for, for sitting through one of my favorite one of my favorite movies uh, from the 80s. Excellent. Well, it was a pleasure, Missy, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again in the future. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you over on Discord. So yeah, guys, that's gonna wrap it up for this episode. We hope you enjoyed our review of Silver Bullet. Next week, black meat, white meat, all will be carved as we review thanksgiving there will be no leftovers yeah the highly anticipated eli roth follow-up to his of course fake trailer from the grindhouse movies we are finally getting it takes place in plymouth massachusetts so you know maybe i'll go down to plymouth rock and you know can do a little screening down there or something that would be fun we'll see how this movie goes but yeah so next week in theaters 
Eli Ross Thanksgiving. We will be reviewing it for you guys on the show. Uh, in the meantime, you can keep up with the podcast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the Horror Squad Podcast. You can also email us anytime, the Horror Squad Podcast at gmail.com. But of course, you already know it. The best way to keep up with the podcast is our Discord. Just send us a DM or an email through any of our socials, and we will get you a link to that Discord. Uh, don't forget, leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. And merch, if you haven't, if you want to support the podcast, you can buy some merch. We have a lot of fun designs. We're going to have more fun designs coming. We have other things in the works we are hoping for at some point later in this year. So stay tuned for that. And yeah, I think that's about it, folks. That's going to be it, guys. We'll see you guys next week for Thanksgiving. Bye. 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 And don't forget to interview with Andrew Bowser. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Horror Squad podcast, where tonight we have a very special guest. He is the writer, director, and star of the new film Onyx, The Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls, which is out today on Screenbox and Digital, Andrew Bowser. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the movie is all about? Yeah, well, the movie is uh, based on a character that I've done for about 10 years now on the internet in various sketches and in a web series or two, and he is uh, an occultist. So the movie follows him as he goes on an adventure to his idol, Bartok the Great's mansion. He gets invited in a very Willy Wonka-ish style by winning a contest, and then once he arrives, he realizes that Bartok has some nefarious plans in store for him and his other followers. So it's a horror comedy throwback in the vein of Fright Night or Ernest Scared Stupid or Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's awesome. So like you said, the character of Onyx has been around for years. I've seen a lot of the sketches on YouTube. Uh, can you <laughs> tell us about where that character started and how you got to the point you are today where he's got his own film? Well, I didn't realize this uh, at first when I began performing the character, but now looking back, and especially now having made the film, I realized that Onyx was uh, a manifestation of my fifth grade self, is how I like to put it. He's a processing agent for me to work through a lot of the things that were undiagnosed in myself as a child, anxiety disorders, even OCD. I created this character initially just as an outlet to have a comedic persona to express myself through sketches. And then pretty soon I realized that he was working through some deeper things in me. Every story he told was about my childhood. Right. Every specific that I pull for an Onyx joke is something from my memory. And now the film really deals with why this character is stuck in childhood and how maybe he could evolve and move forward. Awesome. So the movie was funded by Kickstarter, uh, by fans of your work. How has that experience been, and what was the journey like getting this film funded? Well, it's first I should say for other filmmakers listening, we did need further financing outside of the Kickstarter. I wouldn't want anyone to think the movie was shootable for six hundred grand, which is what we <laughs> raised on Kickstarter, because it was more expensive than that. Uh, but we could not have done it without the Kickstarter. That Kickstarter money then attracted investors, and we were able to find the rest of our budget. And I have to admit, when I first started off crowdfunding, I uh, was a little down on myself. I thought, well, why doesn't anyone in the industry just want to finance one of my scripts? Why mm -hmm. can't I get this made through traditional means or traditional avenues? 
And so I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. Um, and to be honest, I thought, does this look bad as a creator, as a filmmaker, that I'm having to rely on crowdfunding? And there were even some comments like that. Some comments that were negging me said, if, if, if this movie was meant to happen, somebody in Hollywood would have paid you to make it happen. And what was so transformative about the experience is now I wouldn't have done it any other way. It humbled me, but it also empowered me because it put me in touch with my fans and the community of people that do care about the character that ultimately wound up being just as powerful as someone in Hollywood that could have given me the green light. If not, they were more powerful mm -hmm. because they gave me the gift of having this money. So even when we got further investors, I was still in essence an investor. And oftentimes the director is not in charge of anything, even creatively, you could have an investor telling you what to do. But I had 7,493 people as my boss that wanted me to make the movie I wanted to make. And so our other financiers agreed and acquiesced to let me really be in charge from soup to nuts. And I love that this movie was crowdfunded. I should have never had a chip on my shoulder about it. We all know this industry is constantly shifting and the landscape is getting re-terraformed every other day. Mm -hmm. And I honestly see crowdfunding as a, a necessity, even for me moving forward. I think I'm going to crowdfund other projects and I'm eager to do so. Yeah, right on. So there are notable names in this movie, such as Jeffrey Combs, uh, Barbara Crampton, and actually a friend of our show, Jason Marsden. How is it working with Jeffrey and Barbara on set and then Jason in post-production? They were all three fantastic. I've worked with Barbara a number of times on some shorts and some branded content that I had done for Ash versus Evil Dead, actually. I directed mm. a short for them for Funny or Die, and Barbara was in it with Bruce Campbell, which was nice. a, a horror nerd dream come true for me. <laughs> And she's fantastic, always wonderful, always supportive. Uh, she was there for me when I reached out about the Onyx project and was more than happy to be involved. And she's the one that suggested Jeffrey for Bartok. I had not thought of him for Bartok. I had thought about how much I would love to work with Jeffrey Combs in my mm -hmm. lifetime because I'm a huge fan. But I thought Bartok was a, a looming hammer horror villain. And I always pictured mm -hmm. Jeffrey's energy to be a little similar to my own, really. Mm -hmm. we, we both play underdogs. We're scrappy. If he plays a villain, it's oftentimes a villain that's been backed into a corner, that's right. made the wrong decisions, the immoral decisions, but he can justify them in his own way. But she said, well, you might think you're similar types, but you haven't seen what Jeffrey can do now with the experience that he has and at the age that he is. And she was right. The first day on set with him was a blast. And I realized immediately he was the best choice for Bartok. And then Jason is somebody I've been a fan of also for pretty mm. much my entire life. And what was fun about working with Jason was the fact that he he plays a monster in our movie, does the voice of a, of a demon creature. And he said he didn't get to do that very often, that he often did still very kind of young, boyish or bright sounding characters and he appreciated getting to do what he called kind of his Frank Welker uh, take on our box demon puppet. And he lived close to our composer, so he was able to be in the studio recording with our composer near Nashville. And I was able to direct over Zoom with my producer, Olivia. And he was just a dream and has still been a supporter of the film since then. Right, that's awesome. So this seemed like a really fun set to be on. Uh, just given the energy of the film. Can you tell us a little bit about the experience of working on that set? It really was a fun set. And any independent filmmaker knows 
independent productions can be stressful. And it wasn't that it, ours was not stressful. It's that the right people were involved to problem solve and help alleviate that stress. Everybody on that set was working toward making things run smoothly. And oftentimes uh, our, our actor Arden, who plays Shelly, she describes it as having a raccoon in the car. She says, sometimes you get on a, on a shoot and you realize there's a raccoon in the car, but you're already on the road and this road trip started. You can't get that raccoon out of the car. So she said, uh, before joining our cast, she asked, do you have any, any raccoons that you think are <laughs> gonna be in this car with us? And I said, no, I think everyone is a team player. And, and it was true. Uh, and it takes on any film set, but especially tiny ones, it really takes everybody being on the same team and on the same page, making equal amounts of sacrifice. And uh, and this was exactly that to where when we wrapped at that mansion in Massachusetts and we were all drinking champagne on the porch at sunrise after an overnight, it felt like we'd all experienced something very special together. So you wrote, directed, and starred in this movie. Is there one of those roles that you prefer over the other? I do. Ultimately, I prefer directing. I love directing. I will say I'm not the... I, <laughs> I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. Please hire me to direct someone else's <laughs> script by all means. But because all of those sides of myself have fused over the years, for mm -hmm. better or for worse, I am a better director with my own scripts. Um, I am a better actor if I'm writing and directing myself. I'm not right. the best actor uh, if I'm putting someone else's project. I, I don't have the the confidence and the thick skin of a truly practiced actor because I've mostly acted in environments that I've created for myself. So I know the rules. I feel very safe. And I know what's expected of me because I wrote it for me. Right. Uh, so I think the best form of myself is one that's wearing many hats but if I were in a situation where I could only do one thing, it would be directing. I love directing and I love world building. And that's my passion. All right. That's great. Because we're a horror podcast, we like to ask this question to all our guests. What are some of your favorite horror films? And are there any recent ones that you'd like to recommend as well? Yeah, I'm I'm infamous for not liking much modern horror, but I'm <laughs> trying to be better because I don't want to be the elder millennial stereotype uh, that uh, just rewatches Fright Night and Gremlins and over and over again. But to start with some of the older films, mm -hmm. I am a creature guy. So I will love anything that showcases practical creature effects and puppets. Um, Gremlins 2 is huge for me. There's That makes up my entire personality. Right. <laughs> um, when that Key and Peel sketch came out where they were kind of making fun of how random Gremlins 2 was, I watched mm -hmm. it and thought like, well, this isn't funny. This is just why Gremlins 2 rocks so right. much. <laughs> where's, where's the joke? Uh, but uh, uh, so Pumpkinhead is one of my favorite okay. monsters and favorite films. I love how dedicated that movie is to showcasing the creature effects I like the simplicity of its narrative. I like the mood. I'll put Pumpkinhead on a loop. And then a little sillier, uh, Night of the Creeps is a big one for me. If, uh, right. you know, I know it looks, everybody's, you know, gets to throw their name in the hat for a remake here and a remake there. And I'm I'm pretty obsessed with making my own scripts. But at the same time, I would love to remake Night of the Creeps. <laughs> right. That would be a dream come true. More modern, I really liked the Micah Monroe movie from last year or maybe two years ago, Watcher. Yeah, that's a good one. I really liked that. 
I thought it was just solid. I, I sometimes, I, this is, could sound like a criticism, but I don't think it is. I like when a movie delivers on its premise and delivers on its promise. And I think oftentimes uh, movies nowadays are obsessed with going meta and obsessed with a twist after a twist. And mm-hmm. I just think sometimes a well-executed straight line is more of an accomplishment than a twisting and turning road that falls flat for me. So I would say that Watcher was one. I also really liked um, We're All Going to the World's Fair. Okay. I really liked that. And that is more experimental, but yet somehow I still think it it sticks a landing that you wouldn't expect an experimental film to stick. Those two really stayed with me. Oh, and can I also say, I've never played Five Nights at Freddy's. I liked the movie. Okay. And <laughs> I, I, have, I have hot takes on why I think that movie is solid. And I have not spoken these hot takes online because I know the horror community was divided. Right. Obviously, the audience showed up, but uh, I know the horror audience was divided. I have some real hot takes I'm willing to defend on why I think Five Nights at Freddy's was <laughs> a uh, a good movie. Right on. Well, one thing the horror community won't be divided on, I'm sure is onyx the fortuitous and the talisman of souls because obviously the movie's amazing uh, <laughs> i hope i hope so i hope i hope they're not too divided on it uh can you tell us where people can find some of your older clips once they have discovered the genius of onyx the fortuitous <laughs> well if they want to go down the rabbit hole and watch older onyx videos it is difficult because i would upload his videos on different channels over the years and they'd be kind of burner channels or dummy channels that didn't really exist. I only created them for the sake of hosting one video or two, which helped in their believability. And I, I think it helped in them going viral, but it limited how many people knew I was an actor and a comedian and I was someone to follow for content like that. Right. So the easiest thing to do is to, on YouTube, just search weird Satanist guy or weird Arby's guy or weird gamer guy. And then that'll kind of unlock all of the Onyx <laughs> videos, whether they're on my personal comedy channel or whether they were posted elsewhere. Those three videos, Arby's Satanist and Gamer, kind of lead you. It's like watching Ghoulies on Amazon, and then all the recommended (laughs) videos are like, yes, I would watch all of these. (laughs) If you watch those three Onyx videos on YouTube, I think you'll get suggested all of the other Onyx content you'd want. Right behind. So what's next for the Onyx, the character? And is there anything that you, Andrew, would like to promote that's coming up? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is getting as many people to go to Screenbox to watch the film and uh, and then other digital outlets that are renting and have the film available for purchase. I've set up a website that kind of has a lot of those links and it's just theonyxmovie.com and that'll take you to Screenbox or iTunes or Amazon, et cetera. Um, for Onyx, I mean, I've written half of a sequel. I guess we'll nice. see if people want to read those first 40 pages uh, or they want to see how the film does on streaming before they ask about a sequel. I would love to see him do another horror comedy because I think the first one almost for me acts as a proof of concept, whereas the second one could really get up on its feet and have some fun. Um, And then I'll just be making a lot of Onyx sketches to promote the streaming release Mm -hmm. and, and a physical release later on. Um, and other than that, I'll be writing a few other scripts that I've been working on and retooling. Awesome. And where can people follow your career and the film on social media? Best place is Andrew Bowser, director on Instagram or Onyx the Fortuitous official on Instagram. And it's the same for Onyx on TikTok. 
And then my Twitter or my X, whatever it is, <laughs> is is just Andrew Bowser. And uh, I post pretty regularly across all of those. Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Everyone, please go check out Onyx the Fortunas and the Talisman of Souls, available today on Screenbox and on digital. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. joins us live and Julie what happened out there well David Glenda they just finished boarding up the window pane and part of the wall here this is a very busy Arby's it sits right here in Woodward in Royal Oak near 13 mile road so as you can imagine there are quite a few people inside at the time the big window went pop and it was just glass everywhere that was the loudest bang I had ever heard. It sounded like an explosion. I thought perhaps the end of days was upon us, but it turned out it was just a disoriented old lady in a champagne-colored Toyota Avalon crashing into my world like DMB circa 1996. Who's got their claws in you, my friend? Into your heart, I'll beat again. Just before 2 p.m., an elderly woman drove into the side of the restaurant while trying to park her car. I turned around, and a little old lady had uh, stepped on the gas instead of the brake and ran into the restaurant. She hit three people who were sitting down and eating inside. They were thrown eight to ten feet. I saw their bodies tossed skyward like ragdolls thrown into the air by the late great Andre the Giant. I don't know. They appeared to be weightless, hitting zero-G like the fearless crew of a forgotten Apollo mission, whose only objective was to obtain a beef and cheddar classic and return home to Kathleen Quinlan safe before sundown. I don't know. Part of me wishes I'd been hit by that car instead, so I could have gotten out of work early and gone far, far away from shift manager Masha's judging emerald eyes. No, I didn't wash my shirt in between shifts, Masha. So what if I smell like roast beef? This whole place smells like roast beef. 